You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. They have eyes, but they do not see, ears, but they do not hear, nor is there any breath in their mouths. And in verse 18, those who make them are like them, and so is everyone who trusts in them. So it is true that when we reject the true and the living God, the result of that becomes that we think the worst of human nature, and we disrespect the rights of other people, and we oppress them. Too often the human race tends to think the worst of one another, and it's easy to do. Everyone has their own way of doing things, and everyone has their own way of saying things. Each person has their own morals and their own belief system, and this can cause division. But God didn't intend for division. In fact, His heart is for unity. In today's message, Pastor Mike will emphasize that God's heart is for togetherness. So take a moment today and love your neighbor as yourself. Live in unity. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 10 as he begins his message, The Lord Who Is On Your Side. It happened after this, and uh, that's a reference to the things that we talked about last time together. King David was looking for Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, and uh, he found him, and he was brought into the palace, and he ate at David, the king's table. Uh, So David related to him as one of his uh, sons. And so that's the reference here, and it happened after uh, this that the king of the people of Ammon died, and Hanan, his son, reigned in his place. Okay, so our chapter begins recording the death of the king of Ammon, a fellow whose name was Nahash, uh, someone whom we've already been introduced to in our previous uh, studies, and now his son Hanan is reigning in his place. Now let's talk a little bit about Nahash, just in case you forgot who he was. Nahash had been the enemy of King Saul, and uh, we talked about that in our previous studies in the book of 1 Samuel, and since then we've moved now into 2 Samuel. And if you remember, he attempted to bring the tribes of Israel that had settled on the east bank of the Jordan River under his authority. And remember, the men of Jabesh-Gilead had actually come to the king and seeking to make a covenant uh, with him, because they knew that they were inept at being able to defeat that force. But remember the condition that the king had 
put out to the men of Jabesh Gilead. And he wanted, yes, he would make a covenant with them, but one of the contingents was that he would be able to put out their right eye. And uh, well, I don't know if that was uh, agreeable to the men of Jabesh Gilead, but the idea was that it would affect them in a way where they would lose their balance and be ineffective in battle. And so that was the reason why the king responded to the request to make that covenant with the men of Jabesh uh, Gilead. Well, anyway, news had come back to King Saul, who was the king at that particular time, and during which time Saul was still a good king before he uh, lapsed into disobedience, and then God chose David in his place. Well, Saul and Israel thoroughly defeated Nahash and the Ammonites, and his defeat silenced any future ambitions to go to war against Saul and the nation of Israel. But also now going back to that time when hostility existed between King Saul and David, and the reason why that hostility existed was because Saul knew that God had chosen David to replace him upon the throne as king, and Saul was seeking to kill uh, David. The same Nahash that we've already been introduced to showed David some kindness, probably providing for him a way for him to be able to escape Saul's attempt to take David's life. Now notice in verse 2, Then David said, I will show kindness to Hanan, the son of Nahash, as his father showed kindness to me. So David sent by the hand of his servants to comfort him concerning his father who had just passed away. And David's servants came into the land of the people of Ammon. Now, we're not given the details of how Nahash provided for David during that time when Saul was seeking to take his life. But obviously, we conclude from what is recorded here for us that he just treated David uh, well. And again, probably trying to help him to escape Saul's attempts. Now, what stands out here is as powerful and as proficient as David was in war, his heart is inclined towards tenderness and uh, peace. Notice there, he sympathized with the loss of his father. And just you know, think about all of the battles that David was involved in. And you would have imagined that his heart had become calloused, particularly uh, hardened towards human suffering. You know, the battles that ensued in those days were just hand-to-hand -hand kind of combat. And you really had to be a calloused individual. And uh, think about the many people that David himself uh, killed. But nevertheless, in spite of that, that he was a man of war, he was still inclined towards tenderness and peace, sympathizing with the loss of this man's father. And so he resolves himself, notice here, according to our text, to send a friendly message to the king's son. So he did something to bring the grieving man comfort. And I think that this speaks volumes to all of us. You know, when other people are suffering and we have the opportunity to comfort them in their loss, we should do as even David did. But as we are about to discover, this set off a chain of events that would cause anyone to wonder, is it prudent to show kindness to anyone? Because let's pick up now in our chapter in verse 3, we read, And the princes of the people of Ammon said to Hanum, their Lord, do you think that David really honors your father because he has sent comforters to you? So in other words, they're suggesting that he had some ulterior motive. 
Has David not rather sent his servants to you to search the city, to spy it out, and to overthrow it? Now, David sending his envoy must have caused quite a stir in the capital city of Rabbah, which, by the way, is modern-day Ammon. And it is certain they knew of Israel's recent victories over the Philistines, the Moabites, the Syrians, and the Edomites, which is recorded for us in chapter 8. Remember, in one of our previous studies, we talked about David going up against all these various enemies of uh, Israel, all of these other nations. So I can understand being cautious. And they probably thought, well, you know, David had sent this envoy uh, to check out what was going on down there, and really it was uh, an attempt on him to spy out the situation to overtake them as uh, well. So I can understand being cautious. But if you think about it, on such an occasion as the death of a king, dignitaries, ambassadors, would have been dispatched by foreign nations to pay their respects. And so that would have been in order, and it shouldn't have drawn any suspicion and fear upon the people. And concerning these wars that Israel won, Hanan's advisors should have been informed concerning who initiated those battles. And it wasn't David, and it wasn't Israel. So these advisors to the king, perhaps, they used this as a way to appear wise and cunning to the king. You know, one writer said, and I quote, liars always suspect others of lying. And so maybe that was the reason why they offered this advice to the king. Well, anyway, notice, let's go back to verse 3 for a moment. This just goes to show us certain people are incapable of perceiving good in others. And as a result, they attribute the worst of motives to those who wish to do them a good. Well, listen, we shouldn't be surprised by this, because remember the Ammonites and the God whom they serve. You know, it has been noted that the attitudes of Hanan's advisors was a reflection of their religious beliefs and the God whom they had served. And the God whom they had served was a suspicious God. He was a cruel God. You know, let me give you a cross-reference for this. So, you know, that, you know, we become like the God whom we serve. And I'm so glad that we know the true and the living God. And the character and the attributes that mark our God should also be the character and the attributes that mark us as well. But such was not the case with the Ammonites. In fact, let me give you a cross-reference for this. If you quickly turn with me to the 135th Psalm, and uh, the writer there tells us, let's pick up in verses 15 through 18, so the 135th Psalm in verses 15 through 18. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. In other words, they're of no benefit to the people that worship them. So they have eyes, but they do not see. Ears, but they do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. And in verse 18, those who make them are like them. And so is everyone who trusts in them. So it is true that when we reject the true and the living God, the result of that becomes that we think the worst of human nature and we disrespect the rights of other people and we oppress them. And such was the case with the Ammonites. So I don't think that we could expect any 
less of them on this occasion. Now, I think it was immaturity on their part as well as an insecurity that placed them in the position of not being able to trust uh, anyone. Now, notice here, Hanan responds to his advisors who offered him advice that they only had come not to actually pay their respects or to comfort, but rather to spy out what was going on within their nation. Notice there in verse 4. Therefore, Hanan took David's servants. This was a part of the entourage that David had sent to comfort. And they shaved off half of their beards, cut off their garments in the middle at their buttocks, and sent them away. So he subjects them, that is the king, to the greatest humiliation possible. Half their beards are shaved off and their cloaks are cut off at the waist and then they are sent back to David from whence they had come. And listen, let me also add that in the Eastern culture, you did not mess around with a man's beard because that beard represented and was a symbol of his manhood, his virility, and also his freedom. In fact, back then in that culture, a clean-shaven man was a mark of a slave. So they put a great importance on having a beard within that culture. But then notice also, according to our text, the deliberate cutting off of someone's garment to expose their genitals was to inflict the utmost indignity upon them. It violated a person's honor and dignity, and thus they were put to shame. And so these, remember who these guys were. These were David's ambassadors. These were noble, honorable men. They were representing their king. And what was done to them was looked upon as being done to David as well. And also remember that at this time, David was the most powerful man upon the earth. But you know what? You know, when I was thinking about this, you know, this in one sense is also our experience. Because the same principle is true with King Jesus and his ambassadors. And that's who we've become since giving our lives to Christ. Jesus himself said in John's Gospel in chapter 15, in verse 18, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. So we shouldn't expect anything less, right? Okay, well, the road back to Jerusalem from Rabbah, which was some 50 miles back to the city of Jerusalem, Word preceded these ambassadors, and David sends a runner to intercept them, to instruct them, and to clothe them. Let's pick up now in verse 5. When they told David, he sent to meet them, because the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, wait at the city of Jericho until your beards have grown, and then return back to uh, Jerusalem. Now, I think that there's something significant here that I want to draw your attention to. Notice, David doesn't retaliate. And I'm sure that David was angry, but he didn't allow that anger to get the best of him. He did not retaliate. And this was very much like Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter in chapter 2, in verse 23, we are told, who when he was reviled, referring to Jesus, He did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but rather committed himself into the hands of him who judgeth righteously. And he's referring to his Father, God our Father. And listen, I think it would serve us well 
that when we have been injured, when we have been harmed by another individual, we do likewise. You know, just slip it on over to God and let him make all of the wrongs right. And uh, let him bring justice, you know, upon those people. Justice for us. Because it's a no-win situation. You know, if we rise up against those people and retaliate and trade evil for evil, if you think about it, we become a double loser. We've been injured, okay, so uh, we've been injured, but then in the way that we respond, we allow anger to well up within us and, uh, you know, motivate us many times to do the wrong thing. We become a double loser in the actions, in the way that we respond. So I think that this is a no-win situation. So when we are injured, when someone comes up against us, I think that rather than retaliating, I think we should just commit ourselves into the hands of him who judges righteously. It's just one of the perks about being a child of God. You know, let God defend you, right? And he will. You can be sure of that. He'll make all of the wrongs right. I remember when I was a kid growing up in Hoboken, New Jersey, and uh, it seemed like I was always hanging out with guys that were older than myself. And I was a real wise guy. I was a real, you know, a street guy. And uh, I remember one time uh, I had gotten in a fight with, and as I mentioned, I've always hung around with guys that were older than myself, and I was a real wise guy. And I remember one time that I got cornered by some of these guys because of something that I said. And uh, back then in Hoboken, you know, everybody in the summertime would just sit on their stoops. And uh, they would hang out at night. After dinner, people would come out and they would just hang out on their stoops. They would sit out on their stoops. And we would be on the corner playing ball. We'd be playing box ball or stick ball or whatever. And, and I got myself into trouble and I was about to get tossed a beaten by these older guys. And my father, who was very close to me at the time, we were, you know, just you know, steps away from that corner where we've been hanging out, you know, became aware of the fact that I had gotten cornered. And my father got up off of that stoop and came running down the block to where we were, and he intervened on my behalf. And so it is with our Heavenly Father, you know? Even when we do the wrong thing or, or say the wrong thing or put ourselves in that kind of a situation, you can be sure that God will uh, defend us, okay? Even when we make the wrong kinds of mistakes, So anyway, now the Ammonites, realizing what they had done in the way that they had treated these ambassadors, this was tantamount to a declaration of war, and all diplomatic relations were severed, and they seek to reinforce their army. Notice there in verse 6, when the people of Ammon saw that they had made themselves repulsive to David, the people of Ammon, they sent to hire the Syrians to Bethriab and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 foot soldiers, and from the king of Makkah, 1,000 men, and from Ishtab, 12,000 men. Okay, so they're looking to reinforce their army. They're preparing to go into battle against Israel. They figure Israel is going to dispatch their armies because of the way that they treated David's emissaries. So they bolster their ranks with Syrian mercenaries, according to our text, from Beth Rehab and Zobah. And in fact, in 1 Chronicles, in chapter 19, in verse 6, we are told that they paid them 1,000 talents to the Syrians to come and be a part of their uh, military. They also prevail on the kings of Makkah and Tob to join forces with them. And then notice there in verse 7, let's go back to our text. Now when David heard of it, he sent Joab 
and all the army of the mighty men. Okay, so only when David is aware of the Ammonites preparing for war does he send out and dispatch Joab and his army to Rabbah. Now, notice the reference to David's mighty men. And this is the first time in the scriptures where David's force, these mercenaries, are referred to mighty men. This elite, glorious fighting force of David's. Now, it is important to understand concerning these mighty men that David was nothing without them, without his mighty men. And they were nothing without him. He was their leader. But a leader is nothing without followers. And David had an army of the mighty men to follow him. These mighty men didn't necessarily start out as mighty men. In fact, when we were first introduced to them, back in 1 Samuel chapter 22, remember? Uh, This is the way that they were recommended to us. They were distressed. They were indebted and discontent individuals who followed David at Adullam uh, Cave. And sometimes during the week, I'd encourage you to read that text. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 22 and verses 1 and 2. Now, one of these mighty men, just to kind of give you an idea of who these men were, these mercenaries, was a fellow whose name was Adino. And in 2 Samuel in chapter 23 in verse 8, we are told that he was famous for killing 800 men at one time. Could you imagine that? One man killed 800 men at one time. Then we were also introduced to, that was also a part of David's mighty men, a fellow whose name was Jeshobim, who, according to 1 Chronicles in chapter 11 and verse 11, killed 300 men at one time. And then we are introduced to another who was a part of this group, a fellow whose name was Abenai, who killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day and killed a huge Egyptian warrior who was seven and a half feet tall with his own spear. He wrestled his spear from him and then he plunged that spear into him and killed him, according to First Chronicles in chapter 11 in verses 22 and 23. Hey, listen, these guys should have had their own Marvel comic series, right? I mean, think about it. Amazing feats that these guys were able to accomplish. So these were, just to kind of give you an idea of who these mighty men of David were. Okay, now, notice here, according to our text, David did not accompany them. Why? Because the Ammonites by themselves didn't constitute much of a threat. But David was unaware of these Syrian reinforcements. Well, anyway, Joab is dispatched with a certain group of men, a certain number of David's military, but he marches into a trap with his troops. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. We're so glad you joined us today for In My Father's House. Pastor Mike has been taking you through the book of 2 Samuel, an Old Testament book that continues the story of David. David was a great king, loved by many, and forever etched in history as a man after God's heart. Yet, he wasn't perfect. 
God used David in powerful ways, even after he had failed. And God can use you, too. Are you still seeking the Lord? Are you repentant when you fall? God sees your heart, and He's merciful, and He has great plans for you. Continue to trust in His goodness and faithfulness, and let Him use you to bring glory to His name and share the good news of the hope that's found in Christ. If you'd like to explore more messages from Pastor Mike, visit HarvestNYC.org or find the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Be sure to subscribe. That way you'll be notified every time we post a new edition of the show. Just search for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio. If you're in Midtown Manhattan, we'd love for you to come visit us this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship. There's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Find out more on our website, harvestnyc.org. Make plans to join us on Thursdays, too. We're meeting virtually to jump back into the Word midweek and worship the Lord. That starts at 7.30 p.m. online at harvestnyc.org. That's all we have time for today. Join us again for more right here on In My Father's House.